0: we are
1: live sir
0: all right everybody this is episode 45 of the beef and bitcoin podcast with your host brent ch (sighs) repo markets we've been talking about this uh we've been talking about this for weeks now i feel like and uh we finally got around to recording a, a, a quick episode specifically on the repo markets um there's a great article written by uh, one of my favorite Bitcoiners, Caitlin Long uh, she, she writes for, for Forbes occasionally. and uh, she did a really good job of breaking down you know what the repo markets are kind of in layman's terms and what, what it necessarily means uh, for the current state of a financial system. And then also she kind of gives her her take on it and what it means and is it kind of indicative of what's to come. Uh and I, I we're gonna try to you know break down this article into just a few small sections and you know give a little bit of a take on each part. But so to get started, um you know Caitlin kind of describes the repo markets as the that initial plumbing of the financial system. Um and you know here so here's a quick quote from Caitlin that that describes the uh, function of the repo markets. So somebody, probably a big bank, needs cash so badly that it's been willing to pay a shockingly high cost to obtain it. Uh, This also means that some big banks are potentially undercapitalized. So you have a bank that needs cash um, to operate the next day, right? And so it needs some cash overnight. And typically, those rates are between 1% and 2%. And recently, that jumped to 8% and and over that. And uh, some of these uh, repo markets were oversubscribed. And the Fed essentially needed to provide um, liquidity to those markets so that (laughs) banks could operate the next day. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, So... You know, I guess a question to you would be uh, her assumption is that a large big bank is potentially undercapitalized and does not have enough cash on hand to operate the next day. Um, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that, uh, the question is who? Is it, is it part of the U.S. financial system? I know everyone keeps throwing it like Deutsche Bank and other European banks that are just atrocious charts and look completely insolvent when you look at the chart. It says it all. But you know the question is: Is there a U.S. bank out there that is seriously having issues, and who is it? Um, you know, obviously since two thousand eight, banks have been more consolidated. You know, you have Bank of America, America or Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Uh, you have a bunch of other things that are just you know conglomerated. So now everything's so centralized that you know one of these guys goes, it's everyone. Um, and as we talked about in the last few podcasts. The Federal Reserve balance sheet bottomed out at three point seven five nine trillion, and is of now of Wednesday, October 9th, twenty nineteen, is up to three point nine four nine trillion. So just shy of three hundred billion. Actually, excuse me, that's four hundred billion, isn't that right? Almost four hundred billion. Am I wrong? Here, uh, think- three point seven five nine to three Oh, maybe not. So basically, almost three hundred billion, though. It's getting close yeah i mean it, it's, it's, it's it's growing for it's sure it's growing yeah if you if you see it right now you realize it's, it's went up a lot relative especially to the quantitative tightening you know what took basically so the point where we're at now was april 10th of this year and it took us the rest till august so four months roughly to bottom out and then, in the span of a month, we regained all that balance sheet that was tightened or, a.k.a., sold off. Um, it's a lot. Yeah,
0: I mean, and 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 that that happens very very quickly. I um, I don't know if I did such a great job of explaining kind of what the repo markets are, but you know, it it's it's interesting because of the amount of interest, the annualized interest that's charged on that overnight rate, right? So it, it typically, as I mentioned before, is between one and 2%. And then it jumped very quickly to 8%. And I would assume that was that was because um, demand for that overnight liquidity really increased because somebody needed it desperately. And it increased what? Uh, I mean, that's a lot for the interest rate to kind of increase that much. Um, Especially when you consider it to be um, not that risky of a overnight loan that you're, you're expecting to, you know, you post the US treasuries or whatever at collateral or those bonds at collateral, and then you get the cash that you need and you pay a stupid high interest rate. And I think the the shock of seeing eight to ten percent
1: uh, very quickly was kind of what spooked everybody it's a spike I mean I pulled the chart up so if you're watching on YouTube you can see but even over the, the long historical uh, historical period you know when interest rates were higher like f- um, from the mid-2000s up until 2007 or eight when they started cutting you know they were the re- those rates overnight. the op- overnight repo rate was you know five six percent. And here in early, was it, I think it was actually, excuse me, end of 2018, around Christmas time, it spiked. And that was the whole big deal about Powell calling in all the bank heads to make sure everything was okay. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? That was a big deal. I do remember that. Was it? Or was it mean? Was it Mnuchin?
0: I thought it was Powell.
1: It might have been Powell, but yeah, either way, there. Was, Mnuchin had the meeting. That's what it was. Mnuchin had the meeting with all the big bank heads like Jamie Diamond and co. Um, and that's when the repo rate spiked. And then it just recently spiked again up to 10% which is absolutely incredible. Um, so it's, you know, the question is, is what's wrong and, you know, who, who's insolvent is really a question. Some, some, you know, somebody knows something. Right. Um, All right. So let me, uh, I'm going to keep
0: jumping back into the, into the article here. So, Caitlin then starts going into the, uh, the rehypothecation, which is really interesting, mm-hmm. um, of U.S. treasuries. And this is the explanation that she has as why um, these treasuries aren't exactly risk-free. Because you, you'd assume that they were, right? Uh, okay, so here's a quote. For every U.S. treasury security outstanding, roughly three parties believe they own it. That's right multiple parties report that they own the very same asset when only one of them truly does the IMF has estimated that the same collateral was reused 2.2 times in 2018 which means both the original owner plus 2.2 subsequent reissuers believe they own the same collateral often a US treasury security um okay so that that's kind of mind blowing in and of itself um and you know she quickly talks about how did how's how that even possible um, and it's because of a, of a gap accounting rule that auditors can't really use to figure out that anything's uh, wrong or that anybody's there's double counting going on for people claiming that they're owning the same asset. Um, and she kind of likens that to musical chairs so there's only so many seats and US treasury is available and you know somebody at the end of the day will be, holding the bag when the music stops, so that somebody's going to be holding that debt. Um, and when I think about this, I think about how that's what I really like about Bitcoin, is that like I have my keys, so I know that, <laughs> that Bitcoin can't be anywhere else. Nobody else can claim that they own it if they don't have the key. And I think that's where that, that credit or debt-based economy differs so greatly from an equity based economy like you actually need to have it in order to um,
1: uh, use it as collateral I, I don't know what do, what do you think about that um, the rehypothecation thing is something that's interesting it's obviously or not obviously it's something that's not just an issue with the US treasuries um, and I'll get to the Bitcoin part but it's also an issue with ETFs there's all these ETFs out there that have claims on certain stocks or whatever and you know, what happens, that's the big issue is when there's a sell-off in the market, what happens when these things get sold and they have to reclaim all those stocks, you know, in an ETF, you know what I mean? Um, so it's the same thing facing the uh, ETF market as facing the U.S. Treasury market, which is scary because then it's like, well, how many of these banks are think they're holding treasuries and they aren't, you know? And it, it, even if it's just like 20 or 30%, it's like, well, that's 20 or 30% of a couple billion dollars, it's a lot of money. Um and getting around to Bitcoin, as you said, the private key things is huge. Uh and as you're mentioning, this is an issue free money creates. It creates these just giant you know, and obviously this isn't completely just it's a it's a numbers issue, as said. it's a gap counting issue. But um getting at the broader picture here, free money is just piling in here and now as we've said before, the Federal Reserve is no longer doing quantum tape tightening. They they changed it even though they said they're going to normalize the balance sheet. And that was the whole goal. They never normalized the balance sheet. Um, and so they lied. Of course they did. They always lie. Uh, it's not Nothing's changed. It's just like the Fed dot plot. The Fed dot plot had, you know, the overnight repo rate would be like three and a half percent right now or 3.25%. Instead, we're back down to what, 1.75, 2% or something like that right now um, for the Fed funds rate. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, they have no clue what they're doing. It's, it's an unguided, they're just driving an unguided ship right now, but it's more like an unguided missile. That's what it is. And so when you and I are talking about people are, you know, it's a good thing. Probably most people aren't paying attention to what's going on right now, but they will be soon. That's one of those things again. It's going to be like 2008, 2009. People aren't going to pay attention until it's like tomorrow. Oh, banks aren't giving out money at ATMs. Okay.
0: Right. It needs to impact you. Um, both personally and financially for you to really care yeah. and uh, I, I get that um, The only reason I think it impacts me right now is because I got so interested in Bitcoin that now all this shit is really interesting to me, Since um, Bitcoin and, touched <laughs> me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like well, you know like and you know to be to be blatantly honest I wouldn't think about it or talk about it if I didn't think I could make money from having the knowledge about it. Right. I mean, you know, it's not, there's nothing wrong with me being honest and saying that like, yeah, I I absolutely intend to make as much money as humanly possible by having a half decent understanding of what's going on around me. Like that's the whole point. If I didn't think I was going to potentially make money or, you know, change my life for a, a really um, for the better, I, you know, nobody would waste your – who's realistically going to be reading about fucking rehypothecation and stuff? Like it's the most boring fucking topic. But if you can learn enough, there might be an opportunity there to um, make life-changing money. Uh, I don't know. That's the way I kind of look at it. So to me, that's more important than something else that's dumb. I don't the know. The MBA in China. <laughs> right. Like you know, as, as funny well, as it, that it, is, Well, it, it, like, it You what know, it's it?
1: funny. It's coming to a world now because now it's like – you know, it just became part of our world because of what's going on because it's part of the macro now with Hong Kong and Hong Kong's part of our, you know, macro talk. But, you know, I just, it's one of those things like, it's like, yeah, some of the stuff's boring, but there's so much stuff to learn here. And it's like, it's it's stuff that most people don't learn. And it's why, like, you look at America and there's so many issues. Like, most people don't have $1,000 in saving account. Like, 69% of Americans after last study. And it's like, and there's just a bunch of other things, the debt issues, etc. There's so many Americans that just don't understand debt. Uh, the credit card issues is a huge issue. It's like people get screwed with credit cards, They're paying like eighteen to twenty nine percent on credit card debt, and while well, banks lend, you know, at two percent. So. Right. It's, it's a frustrating
0: world. All right, let me uh, let me move on here, and this is getting closer to the last part of the uh, last part of her article. So she also stated, and you know, this is this is interesting to me that she doesn't think this is the big one, since the banks can either uh, raise equity capital or the Fed will inject more dollars into the system. So they'll they'll socialize the losses to everybody holding U.S. dollars, essentially.
1: Everyone is um, listening,
0: <laughs> right? You, me, everybody who's listening, um, you you the you bear the brunt of that. Um, you know. It's interesting that she doesn't think this is the big one and I I guess maybe she's she's right about that because I kind of thought we were we were at this point in time like a year ago and I was I was I was wrong. So I think
1: everyone was uh, wrong. I mean everyone thought it was world over there. I mean yeah.
0: So, I mean, you if know, we're
1: going to the Christmas and the markets were done.
0: Right. Um, yeah, No, I remember it was a scary time. And you know, the It it's funny how quickly things can change, and people forget that that wasn't that long ago. Um, But also, maybe things always take longer than I think. And and the the repo markets, the the beginning of uh, more QE, and and the you know sixty billion getting into the to the market on a monthly basis, buying uh, treasury bills. Like that's kind of just it is what it is like. That's the, maybe that's the beginning of what you're starting to see. And, I, and and so it's interesting that she doesn't think this is kind of the big one, maybe more of like the, the ripplings in the, or cracks in the, in the foundation.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something, I mean, this isn't normal what's going on right now. I think it, it's something. Um, and you know, hypothetically, I'd like think it's good for Bitcoin. I don't know. Um, right. You know, uh, I could be wrong. You know, as I said, like, earlier, when I showed, in the well, I think it was the other podcast, that, you know, even when over, basically, like, one and a half trillion dollars was pumped into the, or one, yeah, roughly one and a half trillion was pumped into the Fed's balance sheet in uh, October, September, October of 2008. You know, it was basically from the start of September to the end of November, so two months, one and a half trillion dollars, the markets continued to go down. They didn't bottom till the end of, um, March of 2009. I was, I was watching a pretty interesting TED talk the other day and the guy was talking about there was a huge change in the uh, start of 2007 or something like that um, with mark to market accounting, which is a huge, um, and the SEC had changed that in I think 1938 he was saying under FDR and they, they brought it back. So basically anything like you think about all these companies that had all these, you know, mortgage, you know, MBSs and whatever, all these houses that, you know, their values just plummeted. So they had a market to market. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and so and take take the paper losses. Yeah, take the paper losses. So they're they're you know think about how quickly the you know those losses. If all those houses get cut in half, and you're holding you know a billion dollars worth of those you know treasuries or, or MBSs, it's like okay, so from a billion to five hundred million, you know that's a huge, and the shock that does the market's incredible, you know? right? So. All right, I want to get
0: into this very last piece. Uh, and We had talked about it earlier, but um, she kind of finished the article saying – The current financial system seems pretty fragile right and um, and and bitcoins the opposite. It's anti-fragile So as these you know as what you just said these big shocks to the current financial system happen and we can see a kind of teetering You can a tweet can move a market now Um, Whereas when you know when Bitcoin kind of receives these shocks, it just it just makes it stronger Even you know with all the recent news ETFs getting denied all the time It's like it just kind of shakes it off and keeps keeps fucking going along and the big the reason why i think bitcoin is more anti-fragile than the current financial system has to do with um the fact that bitcoin is an equity-based asset rather than a debt based um asset so you know just like the issue with uh, the treasury bills being so rehypothecated That's just very difficult to do with Bitcoin without somebody noticing, right? It's more difficult to kind of pull that scheme off to to issue a lot of credit on top of Bitcoin Uh, because people want to hold their keys, right? They want to know exactly what they have and to know those Bitcoins are theirs and they can't, they're they're not anyone else's being used for any other production. Um, So, how do you think just an an equity based system would would function? as opposed to, you know, a current credit or debt based system.
1: Well, the yeah, you know, I'm just reading her part. But her part's about the um the stability part and where Bitcoin has the high price volatility, it has the stability on the infrastructure side or, you know, what it is. At least mm-hmm. so far. I mean, it's had the percentage downtime is like it's a it's a it's been up for 9998 percent or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. some ridiculous number. Um and, peop- and then, you you know, you can look at the regular banking system. The regular banking system is closed. In, the, in America, it's what, open 8.30 to 5 p.m., right? Or 8 to 5 p.m. EST. Um, and it's closed the rest of the day. And that's only five days a week, and that doesn't include, you know, then you have holidays and you have everything else. So you think about all that downtime to make sure things are running, operating correctly so you can send your money places or do wire transfers or do ATH or pull money out of an ATM. Um, so, yeah, it's... You have Bitcoin, which is up 24-7, 365, which is a completely different system. And this is kind of like getting back to internet money, as Andreas Antonopoulos says. It's like, it's it's something completely new. It's kind of like the internet. There's stuff that's going to be built on top of it. There's stuff that's going to come out of this thing that we never saw coming. What? Right. I don't know. but um, And then to point out the current system, yeah. The current system of regular whatever you know financial markets, yeah, you can contain... The price drops. You have the you know you have things like plunge protection team. You have things like central banks being able to distort prices, make sure you know assets stay up. Like the Bank of Japan buying over half the you know Nikkei two two five. Um, yeah, sure you can keep those up, but it, at some point, you know you're going to get one of those like Argentina days where things just drop. Oh my god! Right, right. I remember um, that. <laughs> yeah, it was like fifty percent or something. You know, so at some point you're going to get one of those because eventually you know you can only you know what's it eventually the truth comes out basically something like that right 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 you you can only bullshit so much to a point where you know the market asks questions so
0: no yeah i think that's uh i think that's a good point um i i just think the whole thing's you know kind of nuts and she's had to deal with Um, Caitlin's had to deal with the rehypothecation issues. I thought I heard her mention in a podcast interview maybe a year or so ago about um, she uncovered that one of the funds that she was working with, like, they had uh, shares of Dole and, like, Nobody, nobody had them. A bunch of different funds claimed that they had the same shares of Dole. So the Dole shares had been literally just rehypothecated in the market. So if they thought there were 500 million shares outstanding, um, there were 700,000 shares of Dole that were on people's books. <laughs> She's like, how can you even – how does this even happen? Um, and I So like that and her kind of study of Austrian economics m- led her – to understanding Bitcoin much better than most. How long has she been a um,
1: Bitcoiner?
0: For a couple of years now, but it seems like only the last maybe 24 months that she's been more outspoken about it. And she's getting a lot of really. Uh, Great work done in Wyoming with Trace Mayer um, for a lot of the the pro um, Bitcoin laws and other laws around uh, You know property rights with with Bitcoin and lean cleansing provisions and stuff like that Uh, So she's doing a lot of really um, good work uh, In Wyoming for Bitcoin. So that's gonna be a place where if you're a Bitcoin business today, you're going to want to um, definitely set up shop in Wyoming.
1: My land for... in Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: you know, I, I definitely I wouldn't mind doing it. I think it's not not such a bad idea. The land's cheap enough as it is, but um, it, it's good to have people like Caitlin and Trace Mayer, uh, who are willing to kind of put their reputations on the line and get this shit done for us. Bitcoiners who needed to get done anyway, like you need someone who's gonna go and fight for you to be able to Fight for your own property rights, uh, and I think that's that's important and it's great that we do have people like Caitlin long and trace Mayer to Get that done as I, I think she, her speculation is that we transition to an equity based monetary system that uh, And you know, I don't want to speak for her, but I'm assuming she's She thinks that might be built on top of Bitcoin um, I'd I, I guess I'd say the same thing, but it's
1: important that people are working hard to secure that for us. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, be pretty interesting. I'm a little off topic, but it is on topic at the same time. Is that Real Vision Gold versus Bitcoin? You know.
0: Yeah, that starts tomorrow, I think.
1: Yeah, that'll be that'll be a good thing to catch up on. I think your watch. Yeah, um, we'll
0: definitely have some stuff
1: to talk about with that you know, I'm always curious, and I know I don't want to add too much more onto this because we're just talking repo markets. But where where does you know Bitcoin? I know because Bitcoin's kind of like country neutral, kind of like gold and silver. You know right. how's how does it fit into this global macro we have going now? You know, as you, we've talked about Venezuela, Maduro, Bitcoin, but you know who else has it? And if they do, what do they plan on doing with it? They just plan on sitting it, you know. I don't think anybody's going to say anything until
0: number go up. To be honest with yeah. you, yeah, I mean, it, I, I think that would be the safe strategy to hoard, accumulate, uh, tell no one, and wait for. I don't know. A much higher price. Six, six, much higher price. Like I don't, six I figures. don't like at minimum. But I, even I think six figures might be a little early because that can happen super. That can happen like all of a sudden. Yeah, and then and then I have a feeling it's a combination of price and time. I don't know if world leaders and the IMF or the UN are ready to discuss like who's holding Bitcoin and who's not from like I mean, a, it's going like to become a, a serious issue, like a, like a topic oh no, in I, the next year it,
1: or two. Probably. It, it,
0: it's definitely going to be a bigger topic. And as number go up more, it becomes more of an important topic. Price drives adoption. Here we are I again. Mean, yeah. It's yeah, the yeah. only thing
1: that matters. If, if that price really is, is going it, up.
0: Yeah. I, I, I like on one hand it, like, uh, I, I think this is such a great space and I'm happy to be in it. But at the same time, it's it's too obvious to pretend that, oh, it has anything to do too much about anything else. If it's going to be adopted, um, it's going to be adopted because the number goes up and people want to make money and a profit. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm OK with that. Uh,
1: you We're know, they don't have to. They don't greedy by nature.
0: Yeah, they don't have to be ideological or a libertarian or anarchist to want to, like – see bitcoin go to the moon they just wanted to go to the moon and everything else kind of follows after that yeah
1: logging this bad boy let's see where we go
0: (laughs) yeah no it's uh uh... i like looking at the bitcoin log chart um it helps put it helps put a couple things into perspective that like it's just a, a series of bubbles over time so it's the bubble that keeps popping and then growing um pretty much by like a factor of 10 every single time that it does um so exponentially it's just bubbles popping after bubbles and the and the base grows each time and i think i don't know i guess this was a question that i wanted to ask you like do you think from when we bottomed at the beginning of 2019 at call it like 3200 do you think it was just the same people who had who are still here who are like all right, fuck. Like, I guess this is the bottom. And they pumped us to 14K because I don't think it was any new money that stepped in. I, I just really don't. I, I, I think it was I everybody. I think it's who just a bunch over, of the same honestly.
1: people have been just hanging out in crypto Twitter. Just like, hey, right. I think this is maximum financial pain. Like, just yeah. buy now. Like, well, it, you know, like, and I think you just, you're just you just looking at, like, wow, let's come down a fuck ton of a way. It's so, like, might as well right. just buy it. You know, and it's way down cheap, and I, I, I don't really feel like when you say new money, I know what you're talking about. It doesn't feel like twenty seventeen where a bunch of new people rushed in. Exactly. You know, it does not feel like that. Now, maybe there may be bigger hands coming in, but it doesn't feel like a bunch of new, you know, just you know, smaller retailer coming in. Not. Yeah,
0: it, n- I don't. I don't see it crypto. Twitter is as bad as it gets. Yeah, it's definitely not new retail I, that I, I think just because of anecdotal, um, evidence of people reaching out to me and not seeing that many new faces at no. all. So, uh, no. it, it, None. and which is, which is fine. You know, I'd actually prefer that because oh, yeah. if we got to 14 K with like the 85 people who are left over, on, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we, like, we really, we pumped it that much. Like just the very, really very, very, much, very no small portion of of hodlers of last resort and um all the people who get on the train this time around are going to have a lot more reading to do in the next bear market that all that hard work got done in like twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. Now you can just send everything, every medium article you need to the people who are who come along for this train and you just have a, a lot more hodlers of last resort for the next time around. Um yeah, which is which is good. Like base. that that's what you want. Like that that base grows. The people who are gonna dollar cost average every week or every month is gonna grow
1: bigger every time. Um Yeah, I'm just wondering, and, is it gonna look like this? Is it gonna look like where it's like but see, that took like, so it took from November 2013 to, you know, that's four years from that top I mean, to top.
0: And I think that that four-year top to top is a good way to think about it because um, somebody was kind of saying, don't think about buying any Bitcoin unless you're willing to hold it for like those four-year increments. Like, don't try to, you know, catch a 100% move or 200% bail, like hold it for four or five years like go through a full bull and bear cycle assuming that's how long that they always will be which probably isn't the case but like let it do some some damage like let it do its thing and then you can start to see like oh so so this does happen it does go through a euphoric state and then crash and then it doesn't die and everyone's surprised like i think that's that's the that's the thing that pe- people get in during a hype cycle and then it crashes. And then you assume that it's, it's like the experiments over after that. You don't know that this has happened a bunch of times before that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the cycles before though are pretty rapid, at least 2011, 2010. yeah, 2010. Just, I don't know. I, I don't really know anything actually, to be honest. That's what I figured out the longer I'm in this. Right. We'll, we'll see it's very humbling it's it's about as humbling as it gets but you know for the better the less I know probably better Uh, I'm (laughs) excited for tomorrow maybe we'll record one maybe after you know all this trade deal nonsense nice macro maybe see where we're at tomorrow tomorrow. yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see what tomorrow brings
0: Yeah, want to wrap it up here yeah, that was, uh, that was episode 45, uh, specifically on the repo markets. We'll put all the links to Caitlin's article in the show notes so you guys can go ahead and take a look at those definitely on your worth own. Reading. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth reading just to get a better sense of how the current financial plumbing works. Um, make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube, leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify send us a DM or a comment on other topics that you want us to cover and we'll make sure to get it in the queue.
1: All right. Peace. Peace.